0: Happy Anniversary, Happy Anniversary, Happy Anniversary, Happy Anniversary Pour a cheerful toast and fill it happy anniversary. But be careful you don't fill it happy anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary.
1: anniversary, anniversary.
2: Hooray! It is the third anniversary of Eventually Super Train, seventy-two episodes. Lots of guests, lots of shows, lots of stuff being talked about, and I hope you all have enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Not much else really going on anniversary-like in this episode, because it kind of snuck up on me. So, uh, sneaked up on me? Uh, so what we're doing is basically what we normally do. This is Dan. I'm your main host. It's Venture Super Train, short-lived TV show podcast. We cover the shows, the short-lived shows, the Never Got Enough Love, episode by episode, three shows at a time. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. This episode begins with Amy the Conqueror and myself talking episode 11 of Erie, Indiana. Mitchell Hadley and myself talking episode 22 of Bourbon Street Beat. And then the great Amanda Reyes and I, me, I, me, talking about the fourth episode of Masquerade. And one small note before we dive right in on the feed for Adventure Super Train should have gone up before you're hearing this uh, we had a Adventure Super Train tangent with Mitchell and Dan where we talked classic TV shows for about 20 minutes or so that was actually part of our chat that's in this episode I just kind of lifted it out and put it separate because we're We don't talk about Bourbon Street beat in it at all, but I wanted to include it because I thought it was interesting. So that's why the Bourbon Street beat segment. uh, There might be a strange edit or two in it that you'll hear, just because we didn't plan the talk. It just sort of happened, and then it ended, and we went right into the chat. So it might be a might be a little rough on the uh, editing side, but forgive me. So let us do it, folks. Let's dive right in. We're going to Erie, Indiana. See on the other side.
3: Erie, Indiana. Day 45. I knew my hometown was going to be different from where I grew up in New Jersey, but this is ridiculous. Nobody believes me, but Erie is the center of weirdness for the entire planet. Item, a guy that looks suspiciously like Elvis lives on my paper route. Thank you, little paper boy. Item, Bigfoot eats out of my trash. Item. A bizarre housewife quilt in town has been sealing up their kids in giant rubber kitchenware so they don't age. And now, just when I thought things couldn't get any worse, I discovered that an eerie even man's best friend is up to no good. When I try to tell this to my family, they just think I'm weird. Better weird than dead.
2: Episode 11, Marshall's Theory of Believability, directed by Bob Balaban, written by Matt Dearborn, February 2nd, 1992. Professor Nigel Zircon and his assistant, played by Michael J. Pollard, arrive in Erie. And in an enormous truck, and it's an exhibit to the paranormal and the unbelievable, which is what the professor sort of makes his living in and Marshall of course worships the guy Marshall's dad thinks he's a crook uh the mayor and the city fathers like Elvis are trying to get him thrown out of town Professor Zircon announces that an extraterrestrial object will be falling to earth that night and then he's kind of thrown out of town but ends up with his truck and him at the teller's house and the dad, yeah, like I said, the dad isn't very happy about this guy who he thinks is a hoax and Professor Zircon's trying to be kind and chat with the dad and Simon and, and, and Marshall are outside waiting for whatever it is to fall to Earth and, eh, I'll leave it there. You know, Marshall really likes Professor Zircon because he hopes that uh, the professor will help him sort of blow the lid off the weirdness of Eerie. Does he? Does that happen? Does something fall to Earth? How heated does the argument get between Professor Zircon and Marshall's dad? And I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. Let's join our chat. It's believable. Hey, everyone. Episode 11 of Erie Indiana. I hope you enjoyed my synopsis. I thought it was one of my best. And we are on Marshall's Theory of Believability. Second episode in a row, directed by uh, Bob Balaban. Uh, and I have here with me the great, the wonderful... The awesome Amy the Conqueror. Amy, how are you? Tell me the truth, no lies. (laughs)
0: I'm doing well, Dan. Yay! Um, Happy anniversary, by the way.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a third year anniversary show. 72 episodes in, and and you've been on, what, uh, like 31 of them now? Which is pretty cool. Wow! Really? Yeah, yeah.
0: I didn't realize I was on that
2: many. Yeah, well, Voyagers is twenty, and then this is the eleventh episode here. So, oh, and you were no, you were on thirty-two. Oh yeah, because we did the challenge of the or whatever the heck that was. Remember the movie? Oh.
1: I, oh
0: yes, yes, I wanna, the movie. I want to watch the that pilot again now. and
2: something else. Yes, yeah. Oh <laughs> gosh, yeah, I want to watch that again now. Oh, that was fun. Um, and and I just got I, yeah, I just mentioned this to Amy beforehand. If you guys hear this. And then
1: this.
2: (sighs) That's me opening my water thing, which I should be muting, and last time I left on, and you can hear me do that at least once when Amy's talking. So I'm an idiot. Hopefully you won't hear that again. But if you hear that, you'll know what that noise is, and you'll go, Dan's just hydrating. Okay. All right, so let's dive in. Amy, Marshall's theory of believability. What do you think?
0: Uh, I like this one Um, I had to watch it a few times to like it more Because the first time I watched it I was kind of bored for some reason Mm. And I don't know why Because the subject matter is great Totally you know, something I would be into Uh, But yeah, the more I watched it I watched it like two or three times So I enjoyed it more The last time I watched it Maybe I was just catching more in the episode um, And maybe the first time I just wasn't really into it
1: You,
2: You know what? I, I actually was going to say I had a similar thing happen because uh, you know the first time I watched it for some reason I had trouble keeping my attention and yeah and yeah. I wasn't I wasn't sure why I mean because the concept behind it uh, you know uh, this guy who Marshall considers to sort of be a hero and who is the person who can kind of help bring cred to um, all the weirdness that he's been tracking down for ages is a great concept I think I think kind of what it is is that, um, what it is, is that there's not, uh, I I think there's not a lot of, there's stuff that happens, but really it's just about, this guy comes to town with this, this plan with the fake UFO, Uh, the city fathers give him grief, UFO lands, Marshall discovers he's a fake, then there's a twist, and there's not actually like, you know, it's not Marshall getting lost in an hour of time. It's not a crazy monster running around the house. It's not something like that. It's more, right. like, it's, it's more like kind of Marshall losing a bit of faith and then kind of regaining it um, somewhat somewhat through his parents, although more the thing that happens in the end, which I didn't mention, in, and we might mention. Right. We might spoil it. Um, it. I don't think... I think if you've, you've seen episodes of things like this, I don't think you're going to be too... Sp- Spoiled by the ending. Um, and there was one of my favorite moments that I, the second time through, that I didn't notice the first time was when, oh, you know, the UFO has landed, whatever it is has landed, and they all rush out, and, and um, Professor Zircon has like a, a clipboard or something with like something written on it. And he's he's walking kind of determinedly in, in the is that a word in the front and all of a sudden kind of Marshall and Simon rush by and go it's over here like more to the northeast uh, over this way and and the professor's like no no it's to the northeast no it landed over here and then he looks at his notes and goes it did and then he starts to follow them and I was like right there <laughs> you get you get the little moment where something something's happening and um and I I guess right. part, part of the big thing of it too is that we're probably gonna have to spoil it just. We'll spoil it in a couple minutes. What, what else did you like about it? What um, what um, what 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 do you think it was when you watched it the first time that that didn't grab you?
0: I don't know. There there was a lot more characters than usual that they were mm-hmm. concentrating on. Mm-hmm. So maybe I just <laughs> Zoned out. couldn't keep up because usually <laughs> yes. it's just Marshall and Simon and you know maybe a couple other characters. The family comes in and out, but this was. You know, there was a large cast of people involved in this one. Um, what I did like about it was seeing Andy from Twin Peaks again. Yes. Um, always like to see him as the policeman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there were a lot of like. The more I watched it, there were a lot of little moments like I didn't catch the first time um, when they see the Bigfoot. I don't know if I'm spoiling anything there, uh, and the Bigfoot has a bow, yes, yes. <laughs> so obviously it's a female. Yes. But I thought that was very funny. Um, <laughs> I and uh, also, like, uh, his father, when he said that he was um, disappointed by the Iran Contra hearings, oh, I was yes. trying to figure out what exactly he could have meant by that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, his dad's, uh, his dad can sometimes be a bit of an enigma, especially when he kind of, during this one, he kind of really gets kind of cross with Professor Zircon. Now, I, I mean, I, I don't know whether I say this I in the um I forget if I said this in the plot breakdown but Professor Zircon he's a fake and um and I don't think that's ruining anything you you learn that that fairly early on um but uh there there is something about the way uh uh Marshall's dad. Reacts to the professor, where the professor is just kind of sitting there calmly, and the the dad is like getting more and more anxious. Like, no, there's not going to be any UFOs landing because no. And I went to this school, and I went to that school, and I thought, Dad, I, you know, it's it's. I I think I I mean, it's probably like seeing how much his his son idolizes this guy, who he can dad can figure out is a fake. That's probably causing that. Right, and his dad
0: is a scientist.
2: His da- yeah, his dad is a proper. His dad is a proper one. Um, uh, so
0: I was confused when he was talking about his uh, his education. He they threw archaeology in there, you know? oh. I was Like, but he's an inventor, and he's talking about.
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> he seemed more of a hard scientist, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I thought that was funny. I'm like, he's he studied archaeology, okay?
2: Yeah, he's, that's he's, strange. <laughs> I, I do, I do wonder if sort of. Um, uh, it, it, maybe maybe he was making some up to just try to maybe hoping Marshall would hear or something like ah. that. I don't know. Possibly, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's inter- and then there's the story uh, Marshall's with uh, about Santa Claus when Marshall stayed up trying to get Santa Claus, uh, see Santa Claus, and um, yeah, yeah. There, there's some interesting moments with the family. One one of um, I think the things I um, I really like is I, um, I I do like that moment where. um, uh, the 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 mayor, the cop, and that other guy who seems to pop up everywhere says um, uh, by eight o'clock tonight or whatever you have to this your your truck your giant you know traveling truck there your rig has to be off public property and then all of a sudden you see it very awkwardly parked in the teller's driveway which I thought was very nice yeah. <laughs> and
1: then the yeah.
2: da- the dance response, responds <laughs> what the heck is this well, it was really great. Yep. Oh, you know, uh, I I did like the moments where they um, uh, everyone is on. Is it weird TV? I forget talking about the UFO.
0: Uh yeah, that's what I. Yep.
2: <laughs> everyone gets their ten minutes.
0: Uh, I was trying to figure out if that's what they meant weird because it was W E R D. Mm-hmm. So I was like weird TV. No, they must mean weird
2: TV. I thought so. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I th- the interesting thing about that, or oh, I don't know how interesting it is, but I mean I think as far as I can tell the f- the sh- the the show is shot on film. Um. Uh, oh, Bigfoot's on the screen right now, and Mr. Pollard is is, um, <laughs> is screaming at him. He's, he was great. It's always great to see uh, Monk J. Pollard in something. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, um, uh, I forgot what I was saying. Um, oh, oh yes. Oh, it was um, – sorry, it was uh, – because the show shot on film, but I'm guessing like a lot of shows at this time – oh, I, I think you can tell it from the credits. It was probably transferred to video – uh, for the editing and special effects process. You know, Star Trek The Next Generation did mm-hmm. that. A lot, a lot of shows did. MacGyver did that. Um, uh, but but it, is, it is interesting because you can sort of see uh, that the, and I don't, I don't know exactly how they did it, but, but the shots, the new shots, they kind of look, they're they, video. They were shot on video, but I don't quite know what they did to them because I know now you can shoot something on video and mm-hmm. give it a, a film look. But there, when you see it on video, because you could tell the moment it cuts from, like, everyone surrounding Marshall and Simon and, and Zircon, and then it cuts to, like, the live weird TV, it's it's like it's, it's shot on video. But it's a, like that maybe they did a little something to treat it a little bit to make it look less obviously like video or something. So it's nice to see uh, that moment. Um, what else? Yeah. Um, uh, oh, I like the crate that they have, which unfortunately they drop. Uh, Simon and Marshall's crate yeah. filled with all their stuff. Well, that's—I I, kind of wish they hadn't uh, dropped it. I kind of wish they really had the the footprint in there and could have presented it. It's, it was almost like, yeah. oh, come uh, on, could... come on. Um, I, I think in the in the end, sort of the, the thing I like about it is it is it it is it is, it is it does come down to Marshall's theory of believability it comes down to him trying to prove prove the weirdness around him although it's 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 funny because i the the final scenes when they're um when they're uh, arguing with professor zircon about his ufo or whatever uh you know the the people talking are the mayor the guy who runs the world of stuff and elvis so you think That would, (laughs) you know, there's, there's got to be a moment in there where um, there's already a high tolerance to weird that maybe the people just don't pick up on. Um, maybe.
0: maybe Yeah. I I could see. I could agree with that.
2: Maybe, maybe it's just because because Marshall coming into the town sees stuff that everyone else takes as normal, um, and actually, oh, it's not in this episode. In a, coming up in a few episodes, there's a callback to an earlier episode, um, which kind of made me think. Uh, yeah, I just think that the weird level is already super high in this town, and so, um, so yeah, Marshall. Marshall's discovery. Well, Simon finds them weird too, and he's been there a long time, hasn't he? Has he been there all his life? I forget.
0: Yeah, I think they say that.
2: Mm. Huh. Okay. Well, I guess different levels of weird.
0: Um, I did like uh, Nigel Zircon's real name Phil Zirconowicz. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was great. Um, let's yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, oh, I did like um, when they are in his sort of museum there, uh, um, and they're looking at all the stuff. As uh, Zircon is about to give his um, uh, 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 demonst- give his little speech, the camera kind of floats by uh, a model of a giant spider. And it is it is yes uh, it, and it is as far as I can see from look at it's not the original but it is a model of the model that they used in tarantula I believe from 1956 1957. Oh. I just watched it the other day if That's you look awesome.
0: at, I did not catch that
2: yeah if you look at it just the sort of the like the jaws or whatever that you can kind of tell there it's it's I saw it and I thought just because like I said I just watched tarantula like two days before. And I, I looked at him. Go, that's the terrestrial thing, and and that makes sense. It, your creative consultant is Joe Dante, and we all know he loves those films. So you got to right. you got to have a giant spider in there somewhere. I th- I think I, I think I've covered everything on this. There's there's a lot that happens, but it's not. Um, I don't know that it's like eventful. It's more character stuff. So it's a little trickier to go deep deep, and, and to maybe watch this one yourself, folks. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, you know, you know. Let's just end this. I sh- I'm going to spoil it. Do you think that's okay?
0: I think that's fine. Uh,
2: in the yeah, in the end, you learn that yeah, yeah. Zircon uh, is is. Uh, Marshall finds out he's a fraud. No one will buy his UFO, and then as they're sitting, I think in Marshall's yard with the UFO. Um, uh, uh, Zircon's assistant comes up and says, oh that's not my dealie or whatever, the one I did had flashing lights and everything, that doesn't have flashing lights and then all of a sudden the UFO lights up and pfft, takes off into the sky and so Zircon, at that moment he believes and his assistant believes and Simon and, and Marshall kind of re-believe although I don't know how much I mean, yeah, you, you know you, you, you never meet your heroes although you can meet some of them but you don't, don't meet them if they're big con men I guess is the lesson Yeah. That's a very specific lesson, though. That's not something that happens every day. Um, So uh, that is Marshall's Theory of Believability. Amy, where can we find you online?
0: Uh, You can find me on Instagram at Amy underscore the underscore conqueror.
2: And uh, thank you again uh, for joining me. And I am going to sign off right here. We are going to go on to our next segment, which I believe is a little Bourbon Street beat.
4: Bourbon Street.
2: Bourbon Street Beat
4: Bourbon Street Beat
2: Starring Richard Long
4: In New Orleans
3: Andrew Duggan
4: This is
3: the blues With Arlene Howell and Van
2: Williams Produced by Warner Brothers Bourbon Street Beat Episode 22, Target of Hate, aired March 7th, 1960. Directed by Leslie H. Martinson, Teleplay by Richard Matheson, and William L. Stewart, story by Richard Matheson. This one, let's see, Rex is about to go out for the evening uh, uh, to see a show with a lovely lady. When he gets a call from a a gentleman who says he needs to meet up with him and give him a bunch of money, he he just has to talk to him. So Rex says, okay, you know, I'll miss the first act, but uh, this might come to something. He goes to, to a restaurant and he sits there for a while and the guy never shows and so Rex kind of goes off on his date eventually we learn the guy never showed because he and um, two thuggish gentlemen have broken into Rex and Cal's office and set up a rifle uh, to shoot assassinate a politician who is giving a speech sort of right across the square and as the three gentlemen are in there and they're it's clear like two of them have worked together and one of them they've kind of brought along or he's brought them along uh, we kind of hanging out listening to the uh, politician give his speech and somehow, most of our gang, our main gang, at this late hour, somehow all wind up back in the office. And it goes from being sort of, will we be able to stop this assassination to like a hostage situation. Taking place mainly in, in the main office area. Well, the room with the spiral staircase in it. I don't know if that's the main office area or not. but And it becomes uh, rather tense. And uh, as the speech draws to a close... Well, I'm not gonna tell you what happened. I don't I don't even I don't even know if we tell you in the chat. That ah, forget about it, but that's what happens. Uh, a bunch of guys sort of take over the office and eventually hold everyone hostage. and uh, oh yeah, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you might hear some strange edits in here because uh, 20 minutes of this were taken out and released uh, as a separate um, uh, track tangent, whatever I called it uh a couple days before this hopefully or a day before this or a couple days after sometime so so if you if you to me going, huh that was a bit of a strange edit that would probably be a portion where the segment where we talk classic tv got whoosh, lifted out of there so let's go to bourbon street,
1: bourbon street
2: Feet. target of hate oh boy you know this is going to be a rough one folks you heard that um you heard that opening this is this is a real interesting episode of the show i think Although I'm here with someone who's very tall, who m- might not think it's so interesting, and that's the great Mitchell Hadley. Mitchell, <laughs> h- what did you? How are you? First, what? How are you?
4: I am great, Dan. How are you?
2: Good. I'm doing all right. So, target of hate. What did you think yes. of the episode?
4: I thought that this was a good episode, verging on a very good episode. It is um, there, there. There's a a tension to it. There is a there is a real threat that of the circumstances, the consequences of of what happens if the criminals succeed in what they're doing. So it's tense, and yet there is an underlying absurdity about. Certain parts of the episode that would be funny if it weren't for the fact that we're dealing with a fairly serious topic. But there is um, there it literally, I think, is a a story about some very scary gangsters who, nonetheless, seem to have set up one of the worst plots that they ever could have hoped. To to do because at every turn something goes wrong, and as I say, it's not funny; it's absurd. Because it you, you you begin to look at this situation and every anything that could go wrong for them does go wrong, but the the stakes are so high that you don't look at it as being ridiculous.
2: I and, and one of the reasons I think why I talked about Twilight Zone so much is this is written by Richard Matheson, and
4: <laughs> oh um, uh, yeah. Which,
2: so, this is around the time he was writing Twilight Zones. So, not that this... this mm-hmm. I mean, this, you know what? You know what? If this had some sort of futuristic twist or some other little twist rooney or something in the end, this could have been a Twilight Zone. A bunch of people in a room sort of arguing, different characters going different yes. ways, you know. <clears throat> it also has a feel of sort Very
4: of... Very claustrophobic. I,
2: Yes, yeah, and and nice, nice use of the uh, of the uh, standing sets. And I was I was going to call it almost mm. a um, a, what we would call nowadays like a bottle episode, except for the fact that it yeah. has other cast members. Uh, usually a bottle episode, you just have the main cast members in the main set, but not always. I mean, I guess if like the Doctor Who episode Midnight is kind of a bottle episode that that has a cast of characters, it's just mainly set in the one bus tram thing. But this is sort of like. Uh, this, to me, was like a great bottle episode where it never quite breaks out of the room. And I love the the sense of time that seems so – I'm not going to do a Doctor Who quote – but seems sort of malleable in this in that
4: it, these guys yeah.
2: the, these guys break in, get, get Rex out of there, are expecting no one to come back in. They break in, and they're like, okay, he's going to be stepping out of that door as soon as this speech is done. How much of the speech do we have left? He's just getting started. And then, like, what seems like hours later, he's about halfway through. And what seems like it could be yep. six hours later, he's about three-quarters of the way. And there's no sense of... I mean, the episode takes place over the course of a man's speech. So, I mean, I, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours? I don't know. It's... it's How long did they talk in New Orleans? I don't and
4: know. It, yeah. And, and well... And in the in the meantime, you're right because they get everything set up, and it's they still have it's in time for Cal to come back, for Rex and his date to come back, for the uh, for the magician to come back, for Kenny to come back. It was like Grand Central Station. You were wondering who else they could possibly drag in there. And 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 in the meantime, if you if you remember. Bill Clinton, when he was still governor of Arkansas, he gave a speech at the Democratic National Convention that most people would say is probably one of the worst convention speeches of all time. It went on and on and on, and by the time he got to the end where he says, I don't know if he actually said finally or in conclusion, but he says something that makes it clear he's about to wrap it up, and you can hear people cheering uh, from the floor. It was it it was a disaster and people said he just committed political Harry carry four years later he's elected president so uh <laughs> there 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 you go but that that's what i kept thinking of through all of this that this had to be this was like this wasn't a speech it was a monologue it had to yes. be like two or 3 hours long yeah, it's, and it's... i yeah, no. It it just kept it kept on going, and uh, I I still don't know whether it was supposed to be that long or if it's just because we don't really have a good a sense of how time is elapsing. As you said, it seems to be kind of a malleable thing.
2: And yet, there's enough time for James Coburn to get drunk. And which I would think for some reason that it would take him a long time to get drunk. I don't know why,
4: but uh, yeah, Chandler, I would I know, would think well. that he was yes. a man who can hold his liquor.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I, I I quite like this. I like this episode quite a bit. This isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is one of those episodes that I'm so glad they did one like this. That's basically set on our standing sets. And it's our basically mm-hmm. our main characters with a few other characters, and it's well written and it's well thought through, and um, but it does have like you said these absurd moments that, you know, it's it's kind of like he so so um, what was um, Richard Chamberlain's character's name? Um, oh, I for, I forget. Uh,
4: yeah, I forget the, too. The, the, but, the,
2: we'll just call him the, the nice boy. Um,
4: so, yeah, so, so, I, so, I had so, Kildare written in my notes, but
2: yes, I have, he calls himself Mister Wilson, but that's not, um, and it's not like a Dennis the Menace thing. Um, no, likely, sorry. Uh, oh, Wellington was it Wellington? Does that sound right? I think it that does. Right. Okay, so 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 yeah, you get Doctor Kildare, and he's he's there, and he 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 has a copy of the speech. It's playing on the radio, so they know how long it's going to go, and yet instead of making sure they get everyone out there near the end of this epic speech, they seem to get them out there in the begin like the beginning, and it's sort of like you see them setting up the gun, and there's no one there, and it's like, okay, they're going to, and I thought it was going to be, they're going to kill the guy, and it's going to be blamed mm-hmm. on Rex or Kel. It isn't.
4: Exactly. Suddenly, That's it- where I thought it was going, too
2: suddenly it just spirals into this place where this speech is never going to end and everyone who has left the place for the night is returning for whatever reason and other people are showing up too so it is like it's played deadly serious because it's about trying to save the life of a man these jerks are trying to assassinate and and of course they're going to kill Cal and Rex, uh, you know, and Kenny too, and and Cal's date, whose name I probably forgot to write down. I'm a jerk. Um, she was a very Gloria, and um, yes, but 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 it's this nice drama, and it builds towards the ending. But there is like a, a, an absurdity to the the initial setup is make sure you get everyone out, set it up, and then as we're sitting here waiting, knowing we'll be waiting. Everyone comes back. And I don't know what sort of drama that is, but I found it quite charming. And I think it's nicely directed, too. Um, And I think uh, James Coburn does a really nice job of slowly getting loaded
4: as the episode goes along. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's great. He's a great bad guy. Uh, He's always a pleasure to watch. And, of course, then you see him in something like Our Man Flynn. Yes, and he's yeah. suave and debonair is a good guy he's a very talented actor
2: yeah yeah um let's see what else do you have about this one Cornpone? let me have a look
4: that was one of the things i was going to mention that that he constantly calls cal Cornpone, and you know that cal is filing this in the back of his mind for future reference and at the end I don't think we're giving away anything by saying that the plot does not succeed, but yes, when you know Cal tells Rex, "I want him myself," and <laughs> yes. as he's as he's beating the crap out of uh, out out of Coburn, and that's really the only way you can describe it because he really does—he hardly takes a punch from him—and you can hear him saying, huh? corn "Cornpone, oh, yeah. huh? Pooh, cornpone, huh?" and uh it's it's a tremendously satisfying conclusion because you could tell all through the episode that it was building up for Cal to this moment
2: yes yeah it's yeah it's really great you, you can sort of yeah you can see the moment the moment he calls him corn palm yeah he's gonna get womped, and it's gonna mm-hmm. it's gonna be a, it's gonna be it's gonna be a big womp and even if even if you know cal has to sustain another concussion. It doesn't even matter. And poor Kenny, like, when he gets knocked out, he's, like, on the floor, like, in the most uncomfortable-looking way, (laughs) and he's just like, oh, Kenny.
4: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they have to throw water on him to bring him to. Yes, exactly.
2: What what, what did you think of that scene with Kenny and Melody, where where she won't?
4: That was very interesting, because it finally, completely, without equivocation, defined what their relationship is. And they've kind of danced around that in the past, you know. Well, are they a couple or aren't they a couple? And then you have that bizarre thing about the soul to soul uh, early in the season. But this this was the one uh, that really, for me, defines that they are a couple and that she has certain um, things a lady will not do and that – Kenny has got to respect that, but I suspect Kenny has a, a, has an increasing level of frustration uh, over this because clearly he would like the evening to go on longer than Melody would. Mm-hmm. But it was, yeah, that, I thought that I thought that was fun.
2: Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's an interesting scene because you think for a brief moment that Kenny is is um um. Well, he, he is kind of being a jerk just for a moment but it, it passes very mm-hmm. quickly and and it's just, it's yeah, it just does. a moment of, it's a moment of frustration and um uh, and uh, then 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 it passes because you don't think like oh Kenny what a jerk but but it's yeah it, I agree no. with you that that that's just the moment where it's like and it's nice too that like in the middle of this tense um, uh, you know, sequence that's slowly building. Well, th- this was when it was very slowly building at the beginning. You get this sort of character scene be- between them where it stops, and you get this, and it's mm-hmm. lovely. It's like, like, like we've talked before, and we've already gone way too far not talking about this episode during this discussion. This episode, so we'll probably cut this one <laughs> a little short, folks. Sorry about that. Well, the great thing about this episode is that it's really one to watch. I think it, it doesn't is. go. It doesn't go all over the place. It's not a crazy mystery. It's just a slow building, and you're wondering how many of them are going to come back. How long is the speech going to go on? Is it going to happen? Isn't it going to happen? You know how how drunk is Coburn going to get? You know, and and it's just uh, it's it's. I think I think it's a really and like you said. I think I think it's I think it's. I, I would say, I would call it very good bordering on great. I forget what you called mm-hmm. it. Did you say good, good on very, I very I,
4: good? I said good bordering on very good, but I would agree with you that I think it is, uh, it's, it's on the verge of being really something terrific. And the fact that it, uh, I don't think we should talk about the fact that it doesn't get there. I think you talk about how really good, it is. Yes. Um, again, it, except except for the length of the speech, it's tight. It's suspenseful. It's well acted. You've got familiar faces in it. You know, Richard Chamberlain is just such a pompous ass for most yes. of the episode, yes. And, yes. and 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 uh, Coburn knows exactly how to play that. Uh, yes, he's, yeah. he's playing him through the whole episode, and uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, we talked in, the, in our last episode, we talked about uh, seeing uh, Ted Knight before he became famous. And here is Chamberlain, who was not completely unknown, but he's on the verge of Dr. Kildare and superstardom. But he isn't there yet, and it's yeah. nice to see him in something besides that.
2: Yes. And I, I like to the, the the thought that or the feel the feeling that um, uh, now I know Melody has an aunt. I'm sure Kenny has family, um, but I don't think we mm-hmm. hear about them or anything. Uh, we know that, that that Rex has family, but they're all like in Los Angeles in the middle of white heat or whatever it is. But yes, <laughs> we don't we don't know much about we don't know much about Cal's family, but we might learn something in a few episodes. I don't know if that's a spoiler, but it's lovely like that. They all work there all day and then they all leave and somehow three quarters of them kind of come back in the night mm-hmm. later in the night. and th- And then the fourth one even calls there. So she's not there, but she calls. <laughs> And I, I think, and, and I would about,
4: not have been surprised if she had walked in there at the end uh, yes. uh, as well. You know, everybody else yeah. was there.
2: Yes, exactly. I, I like I like the fact that they feel. You know, because they, they say, I've been in office jobs. And then I guess we'll wrap this one up because uh, we, 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 um, we, we 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 had a nice tangent at the beginning, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. That's our classic TV tangent. We might have another one of those later on. <laughs> there's, lot, there's so much to talk about. Um, but, you know, they, they say in, in – in, I've been in a lot of office jobs where they say, we, we like to think of this as our second family. And I always think, I get real tired of my family real quick um that's just me though. Mm. um but but however seeing like seeing cal and rex hanging out on the couch together as james coburn is pointing a gun at them and seeing how cool they are when this cool james coburn is pointing the gun at them it's like that's a family i could be a part of i'd like that family
4: yeah me too and,
2: and, and so there's there's kind of a a lovely as we've said before you know you don't get um, you don't get huge character arcs you don't get huge story arcs in shows like this but you get the moments in there that build the characters to the point where we're at episode 22 and I could watch these guys forever and and um, we'll watch them for at least another 17 episodes so so there you go uh, do yep. you have anything else do you have anything else Mitchell
4: nope nope I think this is this is just an episode that works at all levels.
2: Yes, so I will ask Mitchell, we know where we can find you online, do you, you want to tell us again?
4: Sure, I will. I never get tired of that It's uh, <laughs> www.itsabouttv.com uh, I, write a, I write about classic TV and uh, American culture My book is The Electronic Mirror and uh, I have more things in the pipeline but I hope you will enjoy what I'm writing in the meantime
2: Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna sign off and we're gonna go to the next segment right now. The United States of America would like to invite you to come spy with me.
1: Tonight, adventures looking in your window something out of the old- Come with me now and let's explore the secret passions I can see you're someone special
2: January fifth, nineteen eighty four. Episode four of Masquerade: The Defector, directed by Peter Crane, written by Andrew Schneider. We are going to talk about it. I am here with my, my good buddy, my podcast pal, Amanda Reyes. Amanda, how are you?
3: I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy. I'm yeah. happy to talk about going behind the red curtain.
2: Oh boy. Yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna talk all about Section Nine in this uh, in this segment. Oh, well, maybe, yes. we won't. Maybe, maybe we will a little. Yeah. Uh, maybe a lot. So this episode – so if you don't mind, I'm going to dive into the plot. Um, and um, did you have anything to say before I begin?
3: No, but was section 9 is really close to a section 8. And hmm. um, I'm just saying that it's going to be that confusing, I think.
2: <laughs> it might
3: be. That crazy, so then- that insane – the
2: so this episode begins with well it actually begins with like a random Soviet defector out in the middle of a field in Macon Georgia being killed by someone from the KGB death squad which is Section Nine and then Lavender Danny and Kirstie Alley's character I can only remember two of the three at a time um, what is her character's name it's something great I bet Casey
3: uh, Casey, Casey that's right, yes. Collins
2: Casey yes so Casey Danny and, and Mr Lavender are uh, setting up the next masquerade adventure and that is that a um a physicist named i believe sasha uh it wants to defect yeah. russian obviously and he's made some sort of basically like a death ray that they they say during a press conference like this is for peaceful purposes this death ray they don't call it a death ray but it's like a laser and um and so what they're going to do is they want to basically get the, the, the Section 9, KGB and Section 9 are keeping a very sharp eye on him because they think he might be trying to defect. they're in uh, Nice in, in, in France, and they think he's going to uh, defect. And so there's a KGB guy keeping an eye on him, and there's a Section 9 assassin who specializes in blowing up cars uh, nearby. And so uh, Lavender and the gang have to kind of get in there, and what, what what Lavender's plan is basically, they're going to get someone to impersonate Sasha, and then get the Section Nine guy to think that he's killed Sasha, so they'll think he can't defect because he's dead. That's the plan. Takes a while to do, but um, let's let's uh, let's talk about the. Um, I
3: I like the idea of them uh, actually making the KGB think that they killed somebody. That was kind of unique to me because the whole point is to show. Is while you thwart the plans of the bad guy, you also are supposed to diminish their abilities. But here, what they're doing is they're actually building up the KGB, like their confidence, to make them think that they did something successfully. And that's so not normal. And I kind of like the approach of that. Actually, I think that the the premise. This is a kind of a confusing episode, but I think the premise itself is actually yes. really interesting. Yeah.
2: So let let's go through the um the the people they hire on the I. Uh... The first one they do, I well, I would, we won't get them in the right order, but um, they hire on a theater director who is uh, in the midst of directing a play with some sort of famous star in it, and the theater director walks off and leaves, and apparently he's been having not not such a great time lately. However, Danny goes to talk with him, and we learn that the director, um, I forget if he lived in Russia or he taught Russians or he did something with Russian culture for his theatrical stuff and they want to hire him on because he's a good director and because he has knowledge of the way um, the Soviets work and do things like smoke cigarettes and handle their forks. Um, would you like to, yes, uh, that's right. Your, uh, do, you, do you have a favorite? Did I pick your favorite of the recruits?
3: Uh, a favorite. That's tough to say. Um, I guess I kind of liked Megan who was played by Susan George because mm-hmm. she's Susan George and so we're going from one George to the other. So the last episode had Linda Day George. Now we've got Susan George. And um, what she is, is she's like a really amazing bodyguard. And she's sort of freelance. So she just works with whoever will hire her. And she finds herself kind of all the time working for celebrities, which means she gets out of a limo and she pushes a bunch of people aside so whoever she's protecting can get through a crowd. And she doesn't really like the work. It's not challenging. She, I think she thinks that probably the actors are deemed and she's looking basically for something more exciting so she's easy to approach because she tells Mr. Lavender she doesn't even know what the case is or that she's going to be doing something with the government but she's like as long as it's not a celebrity I will take the job and the thing that's so great about Megan is that she wears really amazing clothes really amazing clothes there's this there's one outfit where it's like an oversized top with a little belt around the side and this really great little like leather mini skirt and boots Mm -hmm. and she just looks adorable she is high fashion the whole way and so i really kind of worship megan
2: i think i will pick um the french guy um and
3: uh, (laughs) the french guy i
2: I picked the french guy because he's he's a gentleman who who came from france he now lives in the u.s he's a contractor and the way they sort of recruit him is it's sort of like you know, you see the scenes where they recruit everyone, and then it's like, oh, and we got this French guy. And so they bring this guy, on, and his his thing is that um, he's a contractor, and he's able to do a lot of, well, put up like a fake um, roadside something or other construction site. And he's able to do something in the end, which we might may or may not talk about later. But actually, the main thing he does is um, he has a wife who's very jealous and he thinks that um, uh, the uh, Kirstie Alley's character, uh, Casey, um, might uh, be uh, kind of flirting with him and giving him the eye. Actually, he thinks that about, I think, all the women who are there. But so he's he's one of those, um, sort of like the photographer from the last episode where he kind of, um, they it, well, the photographer isn't even mentioned. She just kind of shows up, I think. Uh, but he kind of like, yeah, we can hire yeah. this French guy. He'll be joining us. So he's, he's another one.
3: Yeah, what a great talent being French um and so (laughs) i just picked the only other one that really stands out to me and that is scooter putnam um who is this guy who runs really fast and Mm -hmm. they need him for because he looks a lot like sasha basically and because he's an athlete so he can get out of sticky situations um and i like scooter because so i don't know that this is my favorite episode you know but i do think that the stuff that scooter does with uh the director is really fun and is actually like kind of interesting um like their relationship and also he gets himself in like funny situations and um the actor i'm not really familiar with his name is uh i can't even pronounce it. it's like radamas para and i'm not sure i've actually seen him in anything else but i think he's really good here because he's essentially his whole job is to run fast and to impersonate another person and i really like the way he kind of dives into becoming sasha in the episode it's really fun
2: i i the the moment when um uh, Sasha they, they basically um, oh oh, and I, I forgot too the, um, the the French guy also does uh, the, has a moment where he runs sort of his motor scooter into the KGB guy in order to distract them so Sasha can run away so he also, he's got more than one skill just being French is not his main skill he's got another one and yeah there's a great oh, moment where scary. Sasha where Sasha, oh no, uh, yeah it is Sasha takes off running from the KGB and they, they have it set up where Sasha kind of like rounds a corner and he goes into an alley, and a uh, scooter is standing there, dressed just like him, and suddenly just leaps out in the alley, and the KGB guys go after him. And um, it's that was a nicely done moment. It's it's um was was that all the people they recruit? I I, I feel like it is. That's all I that
3: can seem like a... remember. Mm. But I will tell you just a piece of trivia since we're talking about people in this episode. There is a scene in a post office. I don't remember I only remember the cafeteria scene. I don't actually remember the post office scene, but there's a apparently a woman in the post office and it is Mother Superior from Silent Night Deadly Night oh, and, yes. yeah. and 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 this is one of two episodes she appeared in apparently. So, um what? just to point that out for Eagle Eye viewers. Yeah, yeah, two episodes. Yes. I don't okay. know what the second one is, but but there's going to be some more Mother Superior coming our way. Hooray. Yeah,
2: she's, um, I, I remember that scene, she, uh, she. Uh, I think, is it Lavender goes to use a phone and then um, the KGB guy comes up and like gives her, she's at a switchboard and he gives her some money and says, give me a direct line to phone uh, booth number one where Lavender is. And of course it's all false information and the guy goes in phone booth number three and here's what Lavender, I think it's Lavender, what Lavender is saying. So yeah, and I sat there the whole time looking at her going, is that? No, is it? Hmm. And then I yep. forgot to look. Yep, Wow! Awesome. Uh, so, uh, I, I guess um, I guess what, what did you what did you think of the episode overall? You mentioned it was confusing, and that might not be incorrect.
3: Yeah, it. I mean, it's not a bad episode. And, and when we, if we could save the very very last scene, like um, till the end, because I want to talk about the very last line in the episode, which makes it all worthwhile to me, and I'll tell you why when we get there. But it's it's not bad. I think it's probably, I think the series isn't getting better because I think it talked itself on the third episode, but I think it's maintaining an energy and it's kind of working through some of the kinks that it had in the first couple episodes. So it's, it's watchable and it's fun. It's got, I think it's getting better with um, throwing in more identifiable characters. So I feel like everybody kind of gets enough moment in the sun that they are people to us and not just sort of plot lines. Um, it also has Susan George doing one of the worst American accents I've ever heard. This should just made her British. It was painful. It was painful. She looks great. Her hair is amazing. But that accent really distracts me. Um, but I feel at the same time, uh, so the whole thing is about getting this guy Sasha to defect and getting him over to the other side. And I thought that the actor who played Sasha, David Prather, was a kind of a Christopher Reeve type in that he was pretty sexy and he put on the glasses and you knew once those glasses came off he wasn't going to be as sexy as Chris Reeve but he was pretty cute he reminded me of actually of Dana Carvey like if Dana Carvey was hunky and yeah, you know there's a too. yeah <laughs> and there's a there's a spectrum of hot guys and Dana Carvey is on that list for me so I'm just going to clarify that but um so like um but I don't think that there was enough to Sasha that I cared that much about him uh, it was if this movie had been if this episode had been about scooter maybe i would have been more involved in it but um it's just okay it doesn't have the same energy as the last episode and i think that's the thing i think it it once you're going from this episode to the next one it's kind of like you got real high and then you kind of go to a more sober tone but you're not doing it in the same kind of intriguing fashion as the third episode so it's a little bit of a letdown but it's it's certainly watchable
1: i think that the
2: things that kind of that kind of threw me slightly are the fact that um uh, well a couple of things one is that the opening scene where that defector guy is killed out in the out in the field technically is just to show you how ruthless and i guess good the section nine team is but it really doesn't actually relate to anything else that's happening i mean apart from showing what section nine can do it doesn't like you would think the opening scene would be like introducing sasha maybe, like, and what his plight plight is and what he's up to. Because we're just... We, we don't see a scene with him uh, until he's at this, like, press conference doing his, um... Yes, I made the death ray that is for peaceful purposes, which I just love saying. Um... But it's it's a strange scene to open with because then it immediately and is like the Section Nine guy like throws like a silver ruble down on the dead guy and then it cuts to the <laughs> car and Lavender says the silver ruble Section Nine used them huh what's this about well there's this guy we got to rescue who has nothing to do with that guy that just got killed apart from the fact that they're both Russian you know and it's it's a slightly odd way to start the episode because you feel like it should mean something more but it kind of Sets up something that they probably could have set up elsewhere, and the the other the one of the other things that kind of get well, uh, um, there uh, uh, Susan George's character and Sasha develop a romance, and um, as much as I like Susan George and as 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 you know okay as Sasha was, I um and I applaud them for giving one of the recruited characters a bit more to do giving them sort of a plot line, through line, rather than, like that French guy, you know, he's in one scene, you're here because you're French, and then in another scene, he's driving his motor scooter into people, and another scene, he's setting up stuff with manholes, and another one, he's doing fake construction sites, it was almost like two or three of the people they tried to recruit didn't show up, so they said, well, not only is this guy French, (laughs) but he can do these other things, and he's a martial artist, no, he is not, or is he? I don't know, it didn't go that far. But the, the Susan George-Sasha romance is tricky because I think the, the problem I have with this episode is sort of just when you think the pacing is picking up, it kind of drops. And so as it's building towards what should be the ending, getting Sasha out of there, setting up this explosion, um, they stop for a romance, which is kind of sweet, but at the same time is sort of like, this is meant to be like Mission Impossible style, go, go, go. And you've just st- and stopped it dead like, like ten minutes before the ending.
3: Well, uh, the problem problem with their romance is, to me, is that Sasha's constantly like, oh, you must be so experienced. And I am just Sasha, the scientist. And she's like, in her bad American accent, no, you – I can't do a fake American (laughs) accent. She's like, no, no, whatever, whatever. And then they have sex. And then he's like, Was I how you say adequate? And she's like, You were <laughs> fine. Like that's what she says. She says, You were yes. fine. And it's like, that's not really a compliment, guys. And <laughs> Sasha, I'm sorry. And and it was just like it was like it was so about like how she is American, so she must be so experienced and like I'm doing a horrible Russian accent, but you know what I mean. Like like <laughs> yes. it's like she must be a whore, basically. And, like, and like, can I live up to this because she's had so much sex? I almost said something really crude. Um, but like, um, (laughs) then I'm not going to, but like, that she, that I can never, me, the innocent Russian, could never, ever, ever please the voracious appetite of a fake American. And like, (laughs) it's kind of insulting. And she kind of like lets him do it.
2: Yeah. I, I thought she was going to, uh, being a bodyguard, I I thought she would have probably had this happen to her before. And she would have been like, you know what, you know, I'm working here. And she does say that at one point, but then, um, she, you know, when he gets a little bit too much, you know, like, uh, you are just such a lovely lady. Oh, he doesn't say that, I, you know, but more or less that he's kind of like. Kind of laying it on a bit, and she's like, "Well, you know what? I am working. Oh yes, yeah, sometimes I forget. How could someone like you talk to Sasha?" And then he sits really close to her, <laughs> and I'm, 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 I'm waiting for her to do like, just put the hand up and say, "Okay, Sasha, I'm going to sit on this end of the couch. You're going to sit on the other." But instead, they start kissing, and I, it's, it's, um. If she's like a, truly a, like a professional bodyguard, you would think this would be like this. There would be a line here, especially as he's like a Russian defector. You know, he's not you know John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band or something like that. You know, this okay. this this.
3: Well, you know, okay, John Cafferty's oh. not hot, so I wouldn't make out with him anyway. Oh. Maybe you should have said maybe you should have said Rick Springfield.
2: Okay, okay. Just throwing a
3: name out there, but maybe Rick Springfield is make outable, you know, for sure. sure but um, sure. yeah, it's like, it's like, it, it doesn't, their relationship just sort of forced, like, there's no real chemistry between them. And mm-hmm. you're right, there, there's a lot of time spent in that room with Sasha. And it's not as engaging as like Scooter. Scooter's like the hit of this episode for me. Scooter and the director are really great together and they're fun. And like, I love when, when they're like sort of teaching each other how to interact. Cause like he's, he's like, no Russians do not swipe their forks. What are you doing Scooter? And so like Scooter's like, I'm tired. And so he's like, I need you to do this because otherwise you're going to be found out. And it's the end of everything. And so Scooter, like maybe you should treat me like a human then and so like yes. we're like oh they're teaching each other you know what i mean like how to yes. interact with each other and so um their relationship is really fun it's kind of fatherly right and and the director learns to calm down and scooter sort of learns to take direction and so like so like part of this is like he has to pretend like he's scooter at this camp cafeteria and he comes in and and i guess scooters like um not scooter but sasha's like the absent i'm sorry he has pretend like he's sasha at the cafeteria (laughs) and and i guess sasha's a little absent minded he's the absent-minded professor so he comes in to the cafeteria and he doesn't have enough money and the french uh, cashier is really frustrated with him because she's the best part though what is french what is french money like what do you call the money the currency there
2: Isn't it like – is it like francs and stuff or –
3: Yes, because he puts the thing down and she says 15 francs, but wouldn't 15 be a French word? Like she's using all these French words, but then she's using an English version of the number, which is really (laughs) confusing, and and she's like it's 15 francs, and so – He's like, oh, I only have this, and so she's like, oh, whatever. So she takes everything away, but he's like, don't touch my Jello, and because like he likes the way the Jello is like, like he's never seen Jello before, and so like he's he's really fun to watch. Scooter as Sasha, and he sits down with this woman, and he's smoking in front of her, like at the table, and he's and he's very light and fun, and um and so then when the uh, KGB come. Uh, Vladimir, right, is one of them and I can't remember the other guy's name. And they're like, um, she's like, Oh yeah, he was here. He's a moron, guys. That's how he stood out to me. He he like loves jello, he doesn't have enough money and you know what I mean? And so like that's a really fun interaction, but then they cut back to the real Sasha and Megan. And you're like, oh, he's trying on clothes. And by the way, he doesn't look that sexy in that suit. Like, he's acting like he's wearing, like, the hippest outfit ever. And it's oh. a suit. And she's just like, oh, my God, you could be on the cover of Esquire. And he's yes. like, oh, wow. Yay. And, and I'm like, no. And, and,
2: and, and at first it does feel like maybe she's just being, like – um, you know, she's the bodyguard, and she's just being like, "Okay, yeah, you look fantastic. You could be on the cover of GQ. You're, you look wonderful." But then when they start to fool around and everything, you're like, Are you, "So you were you were saying that to him for real, or is I don't fully understand her character? Although I love her character. And, well, I love oh,
3: oh, I love I love that she's a bodyguard and she's this tiny woman, and she can really take care of yeah. herself, and she's super feminine at the same time. I love it. Yes, but sure. like yeah. the character itself is is not as intriguing." As like, hmm. sco- I'm just gonna keep going back to Scooter. This is Scooter's episode.
2: Give this one to Scooter. Did you notice that when <laughs> the uh, the KGB guy has his um, his exploding car exploding device, that the button that you push that causes the car to explode is a button that's marked fire? Which I, I I'm fairly <laughs> certain fire is something different in Russian, but I don't I don't know.
3: Yeah, it I might be, it take. might be. That's hilarious. No, I, I was too busy looking at Vladimir like, oh, my God. I think that actor is so attractive. He's, in, like, been in all kinds of stuff, and he's always the Russian guy, I think, because he's got this very severe, but he's, like, Nordic, but, like, severely Nordic. But And it works for Russian stereotypes, I guess. He's, like, steely-jawed and, like, all this thick blonde hair, and he's just, mm-hmm. well, he's just... <laughs> He, he is. And so, yeah, I yeah. was too busy looking at Vladimir to notice anything else. Sorry.
2: Um, oh, no, no. Uh, Casey and Danny, their big scene in this episode is when they're in a car playing Go Fish, which is rather quite a charming scene. Oh, I actually, love that episode. I, thought, I
3: love that scene. Yeah.
2: Because they're really they're cute. going through it, and, and like, uh, she's in the back seat kind of just, you know, legs crossed with the cards, and he's crammed into the front seat, stuffing his face with a sandwich. And, and they're going through it, and, you know, do you have any of this? Do you have any of that? Do you have any of this? And at one point she says, um, do you have any jacks? And he says, no, I don't. I said, wait a minute, I asked you that like three tries ago. Are you cheating a go fish? And she's like, yeah, why not? Why not cheat a go fish? And she just breaks into laughter as she's talking about how much fun it is to cheat a go fish. And it was just this lovely scene uh, with the two of them. Just I, I like when the two of them are just hanging out. I would like more of that.
3: Yeah, that was really fun. That that kept, kind of kept the lightheartedness of the last episode, I guess, but in a more maybe realistic kind of environment. So, mm. yeah, they, they were really fun, and you're right, I don't remember them doing much else in the episode. It's, it just kind of feels like people are doing things, and it doesn't necessarily matter what they're doing.
2: Yes, they're just – as long as in the end, Sasha – they think Sasha is dead and he's suddenly American. As long as it gets there, it doesn't actually matter what they do.
3: yeah. And so it's just stuff kind of happens.
2: Yeah. It, oh, Oh. Yeah, they, they, I, I think um, uh, Sandy and Danny are in the scene, which I thought was – I guess I understand it. But it's the way it's staged, It. it's really exciting. And then suddenly it becomes completely unexciting in like the course of two seconds. And that's the one at night where Scooter is being chased uh, down an alley
3: by the mm, KGB guys. Yeah.
2: And, and you just get this great moment where scooters run and it's going and it's exciting and he leaps over a bunch of boxes but he doesn't quite make it and he <laughs> That's and right. down. The, the KGB guys catch him but then the moment they step up to him all of a sudden the car pulls up uh, Danny and and and, and uh, San, Sandy is it Sandy I forget uh, the, the, you know it's uh, Casey Casey why do I keep saying that I gotta write that down Casey, Casey and Danny step out with their guns like freeze don't move get away from him and it's, like, really tense for a second until the KGB guys just kind of straighten up, get in their car, and drive away. And I thought, I think I get what <laughs> they're doing there. that they, 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 Like, they wouldn't shoot this top-ranking KGB guy and this other guy right here because it, um, it might give something away or something. But there's something about the fact that they, like, have these two guys who they know are, you know, bad guys at gunpoint and it's it's literally the scene is shot where it's like really exciting really tense and then all of a sudden okay we'll just get in our car and take off then and they don't even they don't even like stop where are you going what are you doing they just let him go and it's a strange sort of the episode actually does that quite a bit like with the romance scenes where it's kind of it's kind of on a high and then all of a sudden whoa it drops real fast which is which is too bad
3: yeah, yeah, it just doesn't have the energy, I think, that it needed to be really good. And I didn't even really understand what Robert Clary, that's the Frenchman's character, was really doing until you just explained all the things he did. I was like, well, I only remember him building that sort of room, that, like, blow-up-proof room that yeah. they end up in. That's all I really remember him doing. And I watched this last night. Yeah. <laughs>
2: He shows up really. I I mainly remember him for uh yeah the moment with his with where where his wife comes on because it's like she, his wife's gonna come along with him. There's a, and I, I guess it's because he lived in France. But I was thinking wasn't one of the the characters they brought on in the pilot episode an American guy who did a great French accent. So I I, I thought that's right. Could they, could, yeah. Could, could, did they need an actual French guy? I mean, does he? I mean, I guess because he goes into the sewers or wherever it is. Um or underneath the car in the end to, to create that space. Um, but eh, yeah, I, it's, yeah, I don't know. I guess they, you know, he was available. So they, they hired him on and they all went to France or, or the back lot at universal or wherever it was. They made this.
3: Yeah. Mo- most likely that's what yeah. happened. All
2: right. Let me see. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to see what else I have on this. Yeah. There's not as
3: much. It's a tough episode. Though, Cause tonight. it's, it's, it's just kind of like a flat line. And I kind of hate saying that because I do like the episode, but it's it just feels like it's not as memorable. It's so hard. It's like I said, after the third episode, which is amazing with the ninjas, it's kind of hard to like want to go back to the first two episodes, which is what this one's trying to do.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I um Oh, there's a great there's a great scene where um you get the the shifty French waiter who discovers that Sasha is in the 100%. Oh, yeah. With Susan George's character, and so the two KGB guys come up there, and Susan George just beats the crap out of them, and then knees the French waiter in the nuts, which is pretty great. That's
3: right. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome in it. I just, I just yeah. think the love interest thing just felt sort of forced.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then. In um, her accent. Uh, what, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was um, about about halfway during the the episode, I was I was listening to her talk, and I I I. I I, it, I I don't think I, I recognize it immediately as being as bad an accent but it's it, it, yeah it ain't good and but there was something as I was listening to her talk I thought why is something wrong with the way she's talking and yeah now you know it eventually came to me that because you get she's the, like the she's like the...
3: she's like hello governor but then she's like hello governor like like that <laughs> like that yeah. that's how slight like that's how she changed it yeah. That's the best I can um, do. That's the, I'm not even going to try to do that. That's actually.
2: fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, did you want to talk about the, the, the ending you mentioned?
3: I did. So, so like, they, they're they able to fake Sasha's death. This is what made it worthwhile to me. Uh, it's a very Magnum thing, actually. So they're they're able to fake Sasha's death, and then, and then at the end, Megan and Sasha have been split apart, and they think Sasha's going to go underground or whatever or get a new idea. Identity. And so Mr. Lavender is talking to Megan and she's like, Sasha was very special and I really enjoyed this and it was great and I'm sad I'm never going to see him again. And so then Mr. Lavender says something like, let's go to Kokomo together. And she's like, why? And he's like, "Ah, oh, just because, you know, I'm heading that way. And so he opens the car door and Sasha's in there, and she goes, Sasha. And then Mr. Lavender goes, No, it's Phil from Des Moines, or whatever, and so or Frank, or what is some stupid name. And so, um, not that Frank's a stupid name, but what I mean is some obviously not <laughs> Russian name. And so, I realized when I said it's not a stupid name, but anyway. So, um, so, uh, so anyway, she's like, Oh my gosh, we're going to be reunited. And she gets in the car with him, and then Mr. Lavender shuts the door, and he's still on the outside of the car, and he breaks the fourth wall. And he says, well, it's what makes the world go round. And it's yeah. such a sweet moment. It's such a sweet moment in the episode. It's kind of poignant. And, like, even though I didn't love their romance, I love the idea of Mr. Lavender, who's this, like, you know, hardcore agent for whatever in the American CIA or FBI or whatever he does. And he's his job is to, like, destroy the bad guy. But, like, he gets such pleasure Out of bringing these two people together at the end. And it's, uh, and he recognizes it, and he sort of says it in this really sweet way that, like, I know I'm supposed to be doing all this stuff but also this is part of my job and I really like it. And it's like the perk of his job or whatever. And, and it's such a sweet, weird moment. Like whenever you break the fourth wall in TV or I guess in a movie, you're doing something kind of daring. Right. Um, yeah. and Magnum used to do it all the time. He would always look at the camera and make a face. Like if you recognize something ridiculous was happening, he was always talking to the audience. <laughs> you know, I always go back to Magnum, but I just, I love so much about that show. But like, so so here, Mr. Lavender is doing the same thing and and but it's for a very sweet moment. And I just loved it. And to me, it made the whole episode worthwhile because you get this really neat unique ending to the episode.
2: Yeah, I just the, the thought that um uh yeah, Lavender, yeah, he like you said he does all this stuff and he's this no-nonsense guy and he's he's, he's all business, but then when the the case is closed, he kind of looks at the people he's worked with. And who, who did so much for the country, some more than others, and uh, kind of looks at it and goes, okay, is there any way I can, you know, I know we're paying them a year's wage, but is there any uh, any other thing I can do to help? And he's like, huh, interesting, I noticed something there. He's a very astute observer of human nature. He's like, mm, I noticed those two were a little chummy, and um, I'm going to do something about that because i'm mr lavender and that moment when he looks at the camera i i yeah the first time i saw that i rewound that and watched it again i was like oh no come on that's sweet i like that
3: well here's the thing about mr lavender and it's probably partially has to do with the fact that it's rod taylor and it also has to do with the fact that i think he has written pretty well the thing about mr lavender that i like is he's very human so in the last episode Um, we didn't really talk about it but the agent that um, had been sent to help the senator uh, was going to blow up his head or whatever and because he's like well he's going to sell our secrets and he can't do that and Mr. Lavender says do you have any children and he's basically saying like this man will do anything for his daughter and so let's cut him a break you're making it like he's a traitor but he has this daughter that he loves it was in danger and he'll do anything to make her feel safe again right and bring her home and here Mr. Lavender sees these two people who probably shouldn't have been fraternizing because she was hired to be a bodyguard but something happened and they fell in love and under any other circumstances the government would have separated them but Mr. Lavender sees that they belong together so he does what he can to make that happen and so there's something really um, not complex there's something dynamic about Mr. Lavender that you know, because we know very little about any of these characters. We know that Danny plays around a lot. He likes women. Um, he's kind of a jokester. We know Casey is sort of more career driven um, and more focused, but she can have fun. So that scene we see with them in the car playing Go Fish is a really sweet scene because we sort of we don't necessarily learn about them as people, but we see them as people, right? And not just like oh, he likes women and she really wants to do good at her job. We see them as friends, you know, who have a good time together and a good. Rep- Poor and here at the end of the episode, we see the Mister Lavender. He's a bit of a romantic, and it's kind of nice, you know. And so they become people to us. And so when those moments happen in the series, they're really sweet, and I appreciate them.
2: Yeah, and and in a show like this, which which uh, as as of its time is is probably and probably would have not had much continuity from episode to episode. The the little the little yeah. sweet little the little sweet character moments build up. So eventually, after a time, I always say it's like with, um, like with uh, Rockford Files. You know, there characters reappear, and so occasionally there's continuity, but most of the time there isn't. But as you, the more you watch, I mean, he's already James Garner, but the more you watch, the more you get to know Rockford, and the more you get to know his character. And so, even though, you know, uh, if you if you see him do something in episode fifty. You you might think back to episode 20 and think, oh, I remember when he did something similar there, and that's part of his character and stuff, and this is adding on to that. So these these nice little character moments uh, will probably never be referenced again, unless it becomes Lavender's thing to turn to the camera and do a line at the end of the episode from now on. Unless that becomes a thing, it's just going to be a a little bit of character stuff. And I love the fact, too, that... um, Um, I'm I'm wondering if like masquerade is monitoring them or I, I just love the concept that um, he just knows where the camera is and he, he gives us a little little
3: moral (laughs) at the end. Yeah, He does. He does. Yeah. It's just really sweet. And, and I really liked it ended on a real high note for me. And so even though I think that there are flaws to this episode, it's just, like I said, it's worthwhile just for that sweet ending. And also I think, the um the scooter and the director are really great too, so it's worth it just kind of for their interaction, I think, and also Vladimir. Omg, guys! Of course.
2: <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do a final scan of my notes here to see if there's. Oh, you know what? I didn't know that. Um, well, well, one thing I I, I was looking it up this this season of television, eighty three, eighty four. Um, you know, Glennie Larson. I don't. I don't know if he was still involved with them at this time but you know obviously he co-created magnum uh the fall guy and i think knight rider started around now so he had three success very successful to pretty darn successful shows on the air but also in this season he had masquerade manimal and auto man so he had three failed series in this season and i um Uh, oh 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 here's my here's my point i that 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 was the start of the point the second half of it is that seeing susan george in this i looked her up because i realized i didn't know much about her i you know obviously i've seen her in a sort of thing oh Uh, i see i know where this is going i I didn't realize that she was married um somewhere around this time to simon mccorkendale mr manimal
3: himself that's right oh they were just married through the rest of his life
2: Yes, yeah, I, I I didn't know that, I, I don't remember, when when Charlie and I discussed Manimal so long ago on this show, um, we, you know, we loved Simon McCorkendale on that, that we, we love the fact that, much like in the previous Masquerade, where, where they're not quite winking at the camera, but they're sort of, it looks like they're acknowledging, like you said, that this is all kind of silly, so let's have fun. The thing with, with Mr. McCorkendale and Manimal is that there are moments in it you can see where he's kind of like, yeah, I just turned into a panther. So what? You know, there there are moments where he's got this kind of like <laughs> I'm am having fun, you know, and you can see that he knows that the premise of the show is ridiculous, and he's kind of got a wry look on his face. So we liked him very much. You know, I don't think I if I don't think I knew he was dead.
3: I feel bad no. About that. Uh, yeah, here's an interesting point. Um, maybe kind of a depressing one. So the last episode of Linda Day George, who was about a month away from losing her husband when the episode aired, so Samuel Corgendale died after this but he was young he died of cancer in his early 50s um so she also lost her husband susan george the george's is why i brought that up lost her husband at a fairly young age and if you she has a website i follow her on twitter by the way she has a website and if you go um onto her website she does a lot of work for uh cancer awareness and things like that and she does a lot lot of um stuff to pay tribute to her husband and keep his legacy going um and it was just a it was a love affair that they had that just never waned even in death um and it's really amazing she still does a lot of stuff to kind of keep his name out there and it's really sweet
2: yeah when i when i saw that they were married and then whatever it was i looked at just said they were married to like like what was it like 84 85 to 2010 And I didn't realize that he had died, and I thought, oh, that's too bad that they separated. And then when I looked a little more into it, I was like, oh, I didn't know. Why didn't I know that? I should have known that. We should have talked about that. We covered Manimal. I feel like I didn't know that, and um, that made me a little sad. Sorry, everyone. Um, Scooter, isn't that a funny name? Scooter and Sasha, wouldn't they have made a great team? The Sasha and Scooter show?
3: I don't know. Yeah, Uh, no, just Scooter. Just Scooter. No. No offense, Sasha. He's cute and everything, but like but Scooter Scooter was the heart. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Alright, let me see. I I think that's about all I have for this one. Do you have any anything else?
3: No, I don't think the section nine is that scary.
2: Yeah, they're not um they're they're a bit goofy, uh, you know. They the way the way they get caught the way they get caught the, the, the they get ca- caught in the and it, it is funny the way they show the credentials of the guy who blows cars up is Lavender is showing them film and he says here's this guy he's from Section Nine he's the, one of their assassins and this is the way he he takes care of his victims and then they just show like random stock footage from movies of like cars blowing up. I thought,
3: where mm, what <laughs> it those from? Uh, yeah, um, it's just, I, it's just there. Yeah, it's but like I that. guess, I and guess something we we could talk about just real briefly is that. I, so we, this is at least the second episode. I can't even remember the second episode of Masquerade, but this is the second episode that we've covered so far that has been about the KGB. And so it's important to remember yes. that the eighties was really hardcore about Russia. And we're coming yes. full circle because we've had this whole thing going on with Russia now with Putin and everything. Um, But it we don't have the same eighties atmosphere, but like it was such a big, Thing That communism was evil and capitalism, I guess, was good or democracy. It's really capitalism, but we call it democracy. And it was very black and white. And it was also like this huge fear that we had. And so, so much was based on This fear of the other being the Russians. And so entire shows were built off it, obviously, like Scarecrow Mrs. King being the most successful of these types of shows where they take ordinary people. And it was a big deal, right, to have ordinary people do extraordinary things for patriotism. And so, like, I don't know how many of these episodes are actually going to be about the KGB, but, like we look at it now and we're like, they're so goofy. And it was probably goofy to people watching it in the eighties too, but it was also based on like a real legitimate fear that we had, that they were going to come over and like do things to us. And that Russians were desperate, desperate to get out of the country, kind of like Syria now in a way, um, you know, like things were so bad that everybody wanted to defect only it was like the great minds who were defecting. And this reminds me, and maybe I'm going off topic, but there was an episode of Donahue that aired where it was about an American family who defected to Russia. Do you remember this? And that sounds familiar.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it was such a big deal because nobody could imagine going over to Russia because they were obviously standing in line for hours for toilet paper. You know what I mean? There was all these ideas of like what was happening over there. And I guess the Russian government exploited it hardcore because they set up everything so that, because we were really closed off from each other. Like I don't think, you couldn't go to russia but it was really difficult and not looked upon really very lightly and and so the russians set it up so that donahue could interview this family and i remember watching it i don't remember much about the interview now but it was we were all like flabbergasted we were like i can't believe that these people want to live in russia and so anyway it was such a prevalent thing that was happening back then and i i think i pointed that out when we did the pilot but just in case Mm -hmm. um and i don't know if it adds anything to this episode, but I guess it's important if you're into cultural context to understand that even though this was really goofy stuff, this idea of people defecting and the difficulty <laughs> of it, and this idea that you would be murdered if you did it, was like was like a real thing on our minds. I don't know how real it was in politically in the real world, but but that we thought that was going to happen.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and remember too, yeah, that these are the uh, the way the KGB guys get caught in the end of the episode is I think it's that Frenchman again, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Someone shows up on a motor scooter and runs into one of them. He falls over with his hand on his knee. The police run up because they just blew up a car and arrest them. And that's how they, you know, it almost makes them like they're goofy. You know, suddenly the KGB. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my knee, my knee. I just blew up a car and now my knee is hurt. And um, yeah, that's the that's the KGB. I don't know if they're going to. Appear. I feel like they'll they'll reappear at least once. That's that's my that's my guess. They have
3: to because because really the yakuza you're reaching guys but like yes. <laughs> but like the the kgb is really based in something real to us you know i don't really i mean when i say real i mean tv real i mean it's it's taking yeah. a real thing and then it's mainstreaming it and and over the topping it so for the audience but it does feed into like a legitimate anxiety that we had that they were going to come like the whole red dawn thing they were going to air yes. and like take over you know, that was like based on a, a real fear, you know, and and two,
2: the the Yakuza in the last episode does have that that Glenn A. Larson thing of I he just threw like, you know, 30 different things into a hat and pulled out like eight of them and decided to make an episode out of it. Should it be the KGB again? No, the Yakuza. Oh, my gosh. With ninjas in Hawaii. It's got everything. Uh, and this episode has some, but this episode doesn't have everything. No. Oh, it's it's Sasha. Uh, here it is. Sa- Sasha has invented a particle beam, uh, and, and uh, uh, Lavender says, "Yeah, it's more or less like a laser." So there you go. Sasha and his laser. Let's see. All right. Oh, well, Sasha. I think, I think if. Oh, Sasha. I think if that is it for this one, and I think that is all I got. Um, uh, Amanda, where uh, where where can we find you online? What's up?
3: Uh, I guess. The best place to find me is just look for made for TV mayhem because that's where everything is found under. So you can go on my Instagram. It's just made for TV mayhem. Um, You can go on my Twitter, which is at made for TV mayhem. And you can also find me on Facebook under either just made for TV mayhem, or if you want to check out the podcast that Dan and I do, you could check us out at the made for TV mayhem show. Um, We also have a Twitter for that, which is TV mayhem podcast. Um, but if you do my Instagram, it's uh, hopefully it will all show up there instead of these different places. Because when I started, you know, social media, I was just really promoting my blog and things have branched out since then. So I'm trying to make uh, the Instagram like a more of a one-stop shop. So that might be your best bet. But otherwise, you can find me pretty much anywhere. Just look, made for TV mayhem. That's it.
2: Thank, thanks again for joining me. Uh, nec- Thank you. Next up next is... Caribbean holiday oh boy with the KGB so I'm just going to say again I, I guess uh, just mentioned my favorite part one last time Sasha has created a death ray for peaceful purposes think about that Aww. and now let's go on to this and so concludes episode 72 of Eventually Super Train I hope you enjoyed it everybody I thought it was a fun one uh, where you can find us online Eventually eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com at esupertrain1 on Twitter. Eventually SuperTrain is the Facebook page. Uh, you can email me at esupertrain at yahoo.com or uh, just dannyslacks, D-A-N-N-Y slacks at yahoo.com or you can leave a comment on the site. Let's see, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Comments, reviews are always welcome. Always, always beloved. Woohoo! And, yeah, that's episode 72. It was the anniversary episode. I'm a little tired. which You know, it was a pretty pretty raucous episode. Well, you know, as raucous as we get around here. So raucous I had to cut 20 minutes out of it. I'm kidding, of course, but I did. So, thank you everyone for listening again. I really appreciate it. To my guest hosts, I appreciate you giving me your time and and, uh, the effort. And uh, I think we've had a pretty solid run of episodes here, and hopefully we'll go for another three years. That's the plan anyways. We will get to Supertrain, folks. We will get to Supertrain. And so we're going to wrap up here, and I am going to hit you one more time with this great little tune. Talk to you next time.
0: Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Pour a cheerful toast and fill it, happy anniversary. But be careful you don't spill it, happy anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. anniversary.